live here. We are now live on Facebook. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to the DKP. Uh, three of the four, uh, what are we, horsemen, amigos? Three amigos? All of the I above. I don't know what we are when they're all four of us together. But uh, Blanky Dave's uh, in absentia. He's not feeling well, so pray for Blanky. He's got a headache. Um, but we are glad to be together tonight. We wanted to talk about uh, Romans 13. Um, I, I'm, I must admit, I have been a little perplexed to be the obey the government guy the last six or eight months. I feel like if an anarchist is telling you you should do what the government says, it's 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 either a really bad anarchist or you should really listen and maybe both it's weird times to be a christian anarchist right it certainly is a really weird is. time to be a christian anarchist um but let's why don't you introduce us anthony why don't you open up some thoughts for us about how we want to approach this subject tonight well there's been you know for background um a lot of us Christian anarchists have, which I, I think that's an identity that probably all three of us here tonight would would share, um, have have had many conversations with people who um, confront us with Romans 13. It's, it's, you know, the quintessential obey the government Bible passage. And, and it's usually promoted in light of you know any kind of civil unrest or any kind of even criticism of the critique of the government um, tends to be dismissed and 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 replied to by by citing Romans 13 as as if that's a trump card that simply um, says you're supposed to be 100% you know just 100% supportive of whatever the government does um, and, and this tends to be a conservative position because conservatives, um, you know, by definition favor the status quo, um, and law and order, but, right. Um, they're low in openness, trait openness, right. They value, they value order. They value, um, authority. Um, and so, and so these, these, these last, I mean, earlier this year during the protests and riots and so on, there was, you know, the, <clears throat> there was a dismissal, not just of the excesses um, of people calling for whatever they deemed justice, but there was a complete dismissal of even the critique in many cases, because these people don't respect the government. And Christian anarchists in that conversation are constantly saying Christians have, have a, a um, a prophetic responsibility to critique the world systems. Um, we don't resist with force. We don't meet violence with violence, but we do critique. We do call for justice. We do um, hold up God's standard against human standards. And and uh, interestingly, as the COVID crisis has worn on, and many of us have become more and more, you know, frustrated and lonely and tired of the of the repercussions of government responses to that there's been a lot of some of these same voices have risen up to you know 
to basically call for disobedience, widespread disobedience to things like masks, right. Right. which <clears throat> only by the wildest stretch of the imagination can be seen as a direct conflict with our responsibility to God. Well, I've never even um, seen anybody say it is. And, I've just seen seen people saying that it will lead to a breach of our conscience. Right. So the slippery slope argument, just because mm -hmm. it give essentially the argument has been allowing the government to require frivolous things of you um, gives them power that they shouldn't have. And therefore, you need to keep that power away from them and just resist all sorts of things that are not matters of right or wrong in order to prevent the government from having too much power. Um, and, and now, as the election has unfolded, and predictably, the sitting president has refused to concede and has mounted all manner of objections and, you know, pressuring public officials to overturn the results of the voters and all of these things. Um, his followers have increasingly been <clears throat> some of these same people who are very strong supporters of Romans 13, that you must obey and honor the government regardless, are now saying um, that we must not concede this election. We must, if, if Joe Biden is sworn in, he must not be viewed as a legitimate president and we must not obey and we must resist in every way we can. Um, and, and this is, and the argument here, as I understand it, is that Romans 13 only applies to legitimately constituted governments. And right. if we deem the government not to be legitimately constituted, then Romans 13 does not apply and we are allowed to unilaterally just just uh, disregard it in as it relates to a government we don't believe ought to be in power. Um, so that's that's what we wanted to discuss tonight. What is what does Romans thirteen say to Christians, and um, what are the implications for governments we view as more or less legitimate? What does legitimacy even consist of in regard to a worldly government, and? what constitutes a government that Romans 13 does apply to, um, as well as related questions. So um, I'm sure Titus and Matthew have some thoughts on that, and I'll open the floor to you guys. Let, let me just share some relevance here, just to put a, a package on that set of ideas. I was just speaking with somebody, I don't want to give away too much personal information, but somebody who is struggling with this in their small church. Um, and, and what it looks like, I, one of the things that's always bothered me is inconsistency. And I know a lot of people say that, but like, it's, it's forever since I've been anywhere near the kingdom drove me nuts that the people that were against abortion were for war and the people who were against war are for abortion. Like that's just, it, the, the irreconcilability of those premises has always just been like sand in my whatever sand in my ice cream. I, I just, I hate that premise of these inconsistencies and, and there's a ton of that happening right now. And what it looks very much like, I don't know of many individuals or certainly groups of people that are very like, um, very into pure kingdom theology and also just happen to, to not wear masks. 
like where I'm familiar with, with like standing against mask wearing, for instance, there's a complex of issues that's also believing in the, the election conspiracies in some kind of pro-Trump nationalism. Even if we don't vote, we're very, very pro-Trump or very, very glad that he's here. Um, uh, conspiracies about COVID. It's not just an issue of the mass. Like it's, it doesn't live in a vacuum. It's this whole complex of issues. And that complex of issues, like Anthony was mentioning, look very much to me like like we've just tailor fit Romans 13 to match what we want. Like it's just become a fulcrum to, 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 to endorse what I want and to dismiss what I don't. So I like Trump. So we're supposed to, so if I ever hear any criticism, I pull out Romans 13 and say, obey the government. I don't like the Democrats. So whenever I can find a, a, a loophole for myself that I can resist them as openly or as tacitly as I so choose. And it doesn't look like Romans 13 is controlling the conversation. It looks like the personal whims of, of whoever's advocating these things is controlling Romans 13. Have you, what do you think, Titus? What are you seeing? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And it, it's really interesting. There's a, a couple reformed guys and podcasts that I follow and I used to listen to a little more and their podcast feeds have, there's not even a lot of theological content anymore. It is basically all freaking out about COVID and like, it's especially James White. So um, he blocked me on Twitter, so I can't look at his Twitter except for my wife's phone. But I, I'll go on there and I'll scroll through it. And for the most part, like in the past, it's it's been the sort of thing where I scroll through it and I'm just like, how could anyone think like this? What a dork. But if I like do it for long enough, I actually start feeling scared, even though I know what he's saying is not true. Because I mean, he's a dude with a PhD. He seems like a really bright guy. And he is terrified, like completely sure that this is the end and like they're coming for us, you know? Um, and, and yeah, there's something there. there uh, one thing I've been thinking about is like, where does that fear come from? Why are they so scared right now as opposed to other times in history? Um, and, and what's the worldview that gives rise to that? Like, what do they have to lose that they feel like they're losing? Um, so maybe that's one place we could go. Another thought I have about Romans 13 specifically is um, there's a quote going around, I think by John Knox that says that uh, disobedience to tyranny is obedience to God. And I, I guess my question is like, was the Roman government not tyrannical? <laughs> like, right. To, it, it, it's it, this is crazy to me like I, and I don't know what their response to that would be like if they thought that the, the Caesar in power I guess it was Nero um, when Romans wrote when Paul wrote Romans 13 at least in that that at that point in his reign was not very tyrannical or was less tyrannical than the current American government I don't know what the response is to that maybe they just don't even have a response but that that just seems really crazy to me well, I don't know if you guys saw, but I, I posted um, our last citywide I did on conspiracy thinking. Um, yes, and, really good. And I've gotten more feedback from that than I have on a message that we've put out through Fatwa channels in a long time. 
and more quickly. The views are through the roof and the comments are through the roof, both to me personally and through YouTube. And what's interesting to, that, to me about that is that it's obviously striking a nerve. I mean, this is, this is an issue du jour. We, what, what I'm finding is that people are like freedom fighting their way through this, through the world right now. Like their, their, their worldview is shaping up for many, many Christians, especially conservative Christians, their worldview is shaping up that a lot that lays right in the path of, of conspiratorial thinking. And, and what I'm trying to answer to those of those that have been reaching out to me about it is that this isn't, I don't want to, I don't want to argue data about COVID deaths. I don't want to particularly argue about the shape of the earth or, or election fraud. What I'm more interested in is what creates the mindset that's, that's running on these tracks. And, and I know that's hard to do with somebody who's already on that track, but, but I, I don't have a whole lot of optimism about derailing those trains, but I would sure love to show people how to stay off of those tracks. And one of the things that I'm, that I'm trying to highlight to people is that, so I, I've, I have an email correspondence that I was just working on today. Somebody reached out to me and they were pointing out you know, like the signs of the times, like doesn't Jesus want us to know the signs of the times and be inquisitive? That's the, that's the tagline for the conspiratorial movement, be inquisitive or also known as do your own research and, and have a questioning mind so that, quote unquote, so that we aren't deceived. And what's interesting about that premise to me is that what Jesus doesn't want us to be deceived about is giving our allegiance or affection to a false Christ. And it is exactly those conspiratorial threads right now in, in, in current contemporary American Christianity that is doing exactly that, that's dividing people's allegiances and loyalties from Christ to some other purpose. And mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a really tragic irony that in the name of keeping myself from being deceived, and I'm figuring out the world, I'm figuring out the election, I'm figuring out COVID, I'm figuring out whatever, that's exactly the path that lies in giving up my affection from Christ. And I'm trying to focus on, on talking to people about what it means to have a single eye. Because if your eye is not single, then your whole body's full of darkness. And that whole premise that Jesus is teaching us is about what our focus should be on. Mm -hmm. And rather than trying to pull people out of this world view, uh, whether it's flat earth or election conspiracy or COVID conspiracy is try to get them to refocus on Christ. Like, and what Jesus doesn't want us to be deceived about is like, if you're, if you see something that's pulling your heart away from Christ there, there, that's what you should be inquisitive about. Why is my heart being pulled away from Christ? Though whether it's Nero or Pharaoh or Bush or Obama or Clinton or any of our presidents, I don't care who they are, they they do what they do. They're all, I mean, you know, any two kingdoms, anybody who, who has, you know, a passing interest in two kingdoms can tell you, they're all going to do the same thing. Some of them be a little worse than this and better than this and better than this and worse than this, but they're all the same empire. They don't do anything different mm -hmm. than what they do when you get embroiled in that world, that's when you have a problem. That's the real conspiracy, I guess. I found my true conspiracy. Yeah. 
and and especially if you think about the book of revelation and regardless of what your eschatology is i think we would all agree that it's pretty clear that the beast is some kind of empire so when people have an an end times worldview that somehow has america as the good guys fighting against some one world government that's the actual beast then the (laughs) It is, it's, it's crazy. I mean, America right. literally is the most powerful empire on the planet right now and maybe in, of all time. It's the and most it's, likely it, candidate for the beast since it, Rome. It ex- exactly. America is the beast. And so, yeah, it's, it's really twisted. It's like, how could you get this more backwards than you have it? And I think that what, as it pertains to the discussion here tonight, I, I'm 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 really having to tell Christian conservative Christian people who a few years ago or or even last year, when when there was criticism of law enforcement or criticism of, you know, um, economic exploitation, whatever the case may be, Romans 13 was paraded around like it was on a banner. Romans 13, Romans 13, it became a mantra mm-hmm. in conservative Christian circles. And now the exact same people are openly, defiantly, rebelliously refusing to, to listen to the government and trying to set up some kind of paradigm, some kind of loophole. Well, Trump's my president and he says, I don't have to wear a mask. I don't care what my governor says. Well, that's not <laughs> legally, that's not how it works, first of all. But second of all, like you're obviously just picking what you want. You, it doesn't have anything to do with submission. It doesn't have anything to do with caring about the, the, the authority that God has put in place in the world. Right. Especially because if the governor says something and the local sheriff says something different, these same people will go by the local sheriff. Um, so it's clearly not a matter of whoever is the highest authority. It's not a matter of, of, you know, there, there's not a, a there's not a, a um, heuristic here that's being applied across the board to figure out how to act in relation to the government. It's simply picking and choosing because the government's divided. We get to pick the side we like. And, and so I think, but I think that the, the whole issue of legitimacy is a really important one because um, you would have thought, like you said last year, that Romans 13, based on Romans, people's interpretation of Romans 13, like almost universally across conservative Christian white conservative Christianity, at least um, that Romans 13 is just an absolute across the board requirement to do whatever government says. And that if you resist government in any way, I mean, so much as yelling at a police officer, you deserve to be shot dead if that's what he deems necessary. Um, That there's, and, 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 there have been lots of concerns in many communities in the United States about, you know, police officers, police departments becoming militarized, having this kind of carte blanche to, to run around communities and do whatever they feel like. Um, and these, and these um, concerns when they were raised have been commonly just dismissed by conservatives in the name of Romans 13. These were the concerns all along was that in many communities in the U.S., police were abusing their power and other government officials as well to harm people who were powerless against it. It's very much, and, and if you're now like, if you've now suddenly changed 
people people should at least admit that they've changed their minds about that. If at one time, um, black kids being stopped and frisked on street corners every two days on their way to and from school, um, or randomly chased down and shot for having a hoodie in the wrong neighborhood was, was their fault for disrespecting government. And now you're a freedom fighter for taking off your mask and barging your way into a store when your governor has said you're not allowed to. Um, you've changed your mind on this subject. Like you have made a 180. And, and, um, and, and so this is what happens when we don't have a coherent understanding of how Christians are supposed to relate to government. And we're just kind of making it up as we go. And that's why, and, and that's why um, I think, you know, I think many of us, as far as government goes, when, when I look at, you know, conservatives um, freaking out about abuses of power, I'm like, I've, we Christian anarchists have been here all along. Um, maybe the reason you're so scared is because you thought the governor, government was your friend all this time and you didn't care if it beat up the other guy. But, but we've known they were not our friends and we have a coherent way of, of dealing with that reality and keeping our wits about us and staying cool. And that's what I'd like to talk about tonight um, at some more length, if we could, is what does, it, what does Romans 13 actually mean in relation to us and the government? Um, and does it apply differently to a government we deem legitimate versus a government we deem illegitimate? And if so, how do we determine which, you know, which is which? Right. Well, that's where I wanted to go, too. I want to look at what actually... Let's let's look at some of the rationale behind Romans 13 and how how is it properly used when when we look at it, you know, there's some there's some interesting things that are, that are said here. Uh, let me just read a few verses so we get so we have it just on the table. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there's no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. You know, one of my one of my premises about this passage, there's two like super critical things that I think should always be at the front end of any discussion about Romans 13. One is its immediate context that Paul is writing this about Nero. So whatever you're whatever you're going to pull out of Romans 13 has to apply first and foremost in its initial context to Nero. So whatever Tyrants. theory, what's that? Yes. Who was a tyrant? who was a tyrant who was slaughtering Christians by the end of his reign, mm -hmm. lighting them like candles for his chariots. He, he was, a, he, and he cut off the author's head, no less, according mm -hmm. to church tradition. So, so whatever we're going to come up with, this has to apply to Nero. Secondly, mm -hmm. it has to apply unilaterally because it says, it doesn't say the governments that I like. It doesn't say the governments that I find amenable. It doesn't say the governments that, that I think meet God's purposes. It says the, that those that exist have been instituted mm -hmm. by God. It literally means whoever's got the guns, whoever's got the power is the authority. And, mm -hmm. and that's unilateral. That means, that means not only does this what we derive from this have to apply to Nero, it has to apply to everybody. It has to apply to Bush, Pharaoh, uh, Nero, Pol Pot, 
Kim Jong-un, mm-hmm. Chairman Mao, Adolf Hitler. It's got to apply to everyone, wherever, all of them. And so we have to develop a comprehensive theory out of Romans 13 that makes sense in all those contexts. So that's, that's, that's the intro. And then it says, um, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities of the ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all that is owed. That's kind of the punchline of that particular text. So there's some, there's some, you know, some significant consequences associated with that. So let's, let's call ourselves out here now. Let's challenge ourselves first. When I say um, Trump is doing something immoral, or when I said that Bush's war was wrong, uh, am I resisting the authority and am I going to incur judgment by those statements? Here's, I'll tell you how I rationalize this case. There's, um, there's a, there is indeed a prophetic witness that I think that the church has always had a place where it can speak moral truth to power. And so I, I think in, in line with that premise, if someone wants to dutifully wear their masks and obey the regulations and say, I think this is wrong and it's, it's going to mess up humanity. I can't very well, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take them to task. Like, I don't, that's your opinion. You see that, whatever. But if you're talking about actually resisting and, and disobeying and rebelling against what, what are mandates that are not conscience oriented, then we have a big problem. Like, I think this is intended to, to put us in check that our ideologies cannot run ahead of our obedience unless we're staking a claim that what the state is asking us to do is literally disobeyed God in, in order to obey them. So for instance, if the state tells me to kill my enemy, then I have to openly and defiantly rebel against that command of the state. And they, they oftentimes, at least historically, kill those people like Michael Sattler. But there's, there's one thing to critique power. There's another thing to rebel against ordinances that are not immoral. Is that a distinction that you guys make as well? So one response that people will often make to that is that because America is a constitutional republic or whatever they call it, I recently said that it's a democracy and some people got upset at me for that. Of course so they know, did. Whatever it is. Um, I didn't even know that was a thing to get upset about. But. Oh, it's a thing. <laughs> Anyways, wh- whatever it is, it's it's constitutional. I know that um, right. from my conservative bro friends. And so if, if someone makes a law that is unconstitutional, like wearing masks, my ultimate authority that Romans 13 is talking about under this form of government is the constitution. And therefore, I should obey that rather than the governor's mask mandate. How, how do we respond to that? I mean, besides laughing, first of all. 
Well, the constant it's it's funny because it's a have your cake and eat it too. Those same people will appeal to Romans 13 to vindicate the constitution. But Romans 13 isn't written about a style, it's written about a power structure. Like I I don't care what what I don't care if it's a monarchy or a, a representative democracy or or an oligarchy or a or a dictatorship. It doesn't matter. None of that. None of that has any bearing. The style of government has no bearing on the nature of its power, and the nature of the power in America is through these structures, these federal and local structures that we have that make order in the world, which is the real job of the Romans thirteen to make order in the world. That that's what's behind all. That's the rationale behind this power is to make order. It doesn't have to. It's it's. God didn't ordain this structure so that we could wave flags. He didn't ordain this structure so that we could, you know, have freedom of movement or freedom of religion or any of those things. He establishes this authority power structure for the purpose of creating order in the world. And that's how you get at a universal understanding of what Romans 13 is doing in the world is what powers there are are there to create order to stop right and well it's it's right and do good and reward good and 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 it's and and it's a given obviously because paul is talking about a tyrant when he writes this right that these powers will not do that perfectly they'll do it actually typically do it really badly um which means that they'll only reward good and punish evil some of the time other times they'll do the opposite but the reason that the reason they're there is to put a check on the amount of total violence the world would experience if we had pure anarchy so so and and there's another important thing to to note about this is that it's it's almost it's it's a built-in function of society government is it's not something that like god doesn't every four years um like send an angel down and pick who's going to be in government god didn't um send angels to to the revolutionaries in the united in the revolutionary war in the united states that formed the united states and like give them instructions about how to take back how to take the rest the land away from the british crown um that's just something that happens in societies people are always jockeying for power and always doing violence to each other on some level and when a society has too high levels of violence and and like when people don't feel safe somebody rises up that's stronger than the other you know than the rest of the um candidates and seizes power and begins to impose some form of law and order on the society. Um, that's what Nero did. That's what Hitler did. That's that's what. I mean, the restoration of law and order was was a, a big part of of uh, Hitler's appeal, and and that's because people in a society that's collapsing or unstable you know, they don't know how to predict what's going to happen next. They don't feel secure in their homes and their possessions. And a go- almost any government is better than no government. 
Right. And so, and, but, but human society has been set up. We've psychologically been set up to where we self-organize into a government. If there's no government, one rises. Um, and that makes the violence that's going on in society self-limiting. And, and that's true. And I, I would argue that this definition of government, which is like you said, Matthew, whoever holds the gun, um, applies to a cartel that's in charge of part of Mexico, for instance, whoever has effective power in an area does promote some version of law and order that's better than just people shooting whoever they're mad at all the time and taking, you know, the strongest guy on the block, taking what he wants from the weakest guy. Um, and so, so from that perspective, um, there is no such thing as a legitimate or illegitimate government. Um, any definition you would come up with that people would like to use actually falls apart anyway, because every legitimate government was an illegitimate government at one point by any definition you would choose. So the, the point is Romans 13 isn't about legitimate governments. It's about whoever has the power and it's not about just governments. And it's not about, um, governments that have some kind of divine fiat to establish them because they don't, um, except in a few cases in the Old Testament with the kings of Israel. Um, so well, it begs the question foundation. How, how would we even determine legitimacy? Like, you know, from a historical perspective, like just like you said, like every government's emerging out of the collapse of some other and usually in some kind of armed conflict like imagine a scenario where china was to overtake the united states next year and and completely destroy the white house and take all possession of the united states in a year's time and now five years from now we're all under some chinese administration in america how, how what what does the constitution have to do with my life in five years under the chinese government like, is that my legitimate God-ordained government and I'm only subject to the, to the mandates of the U.S. Constitution? That's absurd. No, nobody thinks that way. It doesn't even make sense. It wouldn't be sensible to even, like, you can't even create a construct where that would be meaningful. If the Chinese government takes over America, then you're subject to the Chinese government. Like, that's just how all of this works. And, and it's, it's an Achilles heel of the premise of constitutionalism that, that it requires being held up in order to be valid. Like, if there, if there was some other power over us, if the, the deep state took over America and abolished the Constitution, well, what then? I mean... I know what then if you're, you know, Red Dawn and you're going to fight your way back to America, whatever else. But for us Christians, like what an insensible conclusion. Like we we just obey whoever's in charge. Like the ahistoricity of this position, especially for Anabaptist people, is just mind boggling to me. Like I always want to call Anabaptist people who are taking these kinds of positions sons of liberty, although I don't think they get it the point is they're just revolutionaries. You're just like the founding fathers. Like you're not like the Anabaptist people that time. You're like the sons of Liberty. You're conspiring to have your way. You're willing to overthrow whatever you don't agree with. And that's, that's not Romans 13. Three sons. Yeah. <laughs> Three right. brothers. Right. Um, 
There, we have a couple questions here. Um, I'll kind of address the first one, then I'll throw another one at you guys. But Jonathan Martin a while back said, what if wearing a mask is giving into a spirit of control and thus resisting mask mandates is actually spiritual warfare and thus a conscience issue? Well, we are, we're definitely supposed to do spiritual warfare. And yes, there are principalities and powers that work in and through the government. However, I think we're actually given pretty clear instructions from the apostles about how to do spiritual warfare. And part of those instructions are not to physically resist government by disobeying them. And I think the question arises, why? Like, is it because we're we're pushovers? Um, I I think it really comes down to like, it's it's just a waste of energy. It's going to it's it's going to create more problems than it solves to do that. Um, and I think you mentioned that recently, I think in, in a sermon, Matthew, that like even the, the tax, the paying the taxes is just so we can get on with what actually matters so we can right. avoid conflict. And so, yes, we need to do spiritual warfare. However, we're giving certain marching orders about how to do that spiritual warfare and we're specifically told what not to do, which is exactly um, what this comment suggests to do, which I don't think he actually thinks is, I don't think it's his position. Um, so yeah, and then we have yeah. another question from Javen or Javon, but you guys can um, speak. Let, to let me, let me, let me tack on a little bit to that too, because I think this is an important point. And I, I mean, you guys know me, I see two kingdoms in almost all, it's connected to almost all of our new, it's a, it's a pillar concept of, of the New Testament. But um, it's interesting to me that Romans 13 ends in talking about obligations. It says, pay taxes to whom taxes, honor to whom honor, and custom to whom custom. And it's, it, it, it ties those two concepts together neatly. You mentioned uh, the, the, the tribute money that Peter takes out of the fish's mouth. And I, I'm very interested. Um, people, I ask people about what they think that that discourse means between Jesus and Peter often and a lot of people don't see in that what i do what what it seems like jesus is saying he he says of whom do they take tribute of of their sons or of those who are under under rule and the obvious it's a rhetorical question obviously no kings don't take tribute of their sons they take it of their subjects and he says we're basically makes the point we're children of the creator He's our father. We don't owe anybody anything. Like the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. There is no obligation that the sons of God have to the systems of men because they're inferior powers. But then he gives his rationale. Nevertheless, so that they won't be offended, so that essentially, so we can do what we are supposed to do, what we're here to do, which is establish and grow the kingdom of God, go and take, go and put in a hook and then you pull out a fish and take the money and pay the, pay the money. Mm -hmm. So there's something connected with all of these ideas, that tribute concept that Jesus is dealing with in Peter is wrapped back into this Romans 13 passage that this tribute, what's happening in the world's powers isn't about the sons of God. It's about creating and maintaining order in the world. And Mm -hmm. our part in that is to go with the flow. And so when somebody confronts me, like say we were to find some incontrovertible evidence that the election was stolen, I don't care. It doesn't make any difference to me. I I, I really like 
except for except for the d- direct effects of who I'm supposed to pay what to and and what's happening around me and being involved with my neighbors it's completely inconsequential to me whether Obama or Bush or Trump or Joe Biden is the king of America. I, I just don't care. It doesn't matter. I, I'm, I don't have any dog in the fight and I, I really don't care. And if, and if there happened, if there were widespread corruption in something as corrupt and gross as the American empire, who's going to be surprised? Like I, that doesn't, you're not going to scandalize me with that. I, I mean, I don't think that's what happened. I just don't care. And it's not that I don't care because I don't care about America or I don't care about my neighbors or I don't care about the place that I live in or I don't appreciate the things that I have. It's just that these things are the things that move around me while I do what I'm here to do. It, I don't care any more than I care about a, 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 pol- a political election being stolen in the Ukraine or Georgia. I, like, it just, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter to me. If people are being hurt and there's something immoral happening and there's direct consequences that I can affect and I can speak to the moral case, then I'm willing to do that. But whatever comes or goes, just comes or goes. Every election is stolen from Jesus anyway. So as far as I'm concerned, they're all frauds. Preach. They're all usurpers so, in a certain regard. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's interesting I think to look at Romans 13, it's interesting that Paul goes on to say rumors, rulers are not a, are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is an authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the, on the wrongdoer. Um, and he actually mentions taxes a little further down as an example, um, as you brought up, of the sort of thing that you just go with the flow. But I think it's really interesting. Many people have interpreted, typically, again, in the past when underprivileged or, or, um, or impoverished people claim that police brutality is affecting them and they're being oppressed people who are not experiencing that um, who are not on the wrong side of the law at the time will say rulers are not a terror to good conduct conduct but to bad obvious like it says right in the bible you don't have to be afraid of them unless unless you're doing something bad um interestingly this this uh this parallels exactly what uh, i think it was the ceo of google said when People were raising privacy concerns um, about Google's, you know, eerie amount of of visibility into everyone's private lives. He said, "Well, if you don't uh, if you don't want anybody to know what you're doing, maybe you shouldn't be doing it." Um, it's the the concept is that well, whatever power exists, you have not. It must be inherently good, and therefore the only people who would be who, who would be unhappy with it it'd be somebody's doing something bad well i think this should be a great time to raise the to to point out to um conservatives who typically use romans 13 this way that clearly um your your current position on the government is not that if you do what's good you have nothing to worry about um 
because you think the government is coming after you for doing what's good. Right. Um, and this is all that many other people have been saying for a long time. Sometimes the government goes after people who are doing right. So what is he saying here? I mean, my interpretation, I'd like you guys' input on this too, is that um, like Matthew said, these are the moving parts of the empire we're living in. We're, we don't belong to it. We're in it, but not of it. Um, and, and so when we are obedient to God, when we're following our, mar our marching orders, when we're living morally and ethically and uprightly toward other human beings, um, we don't have anything to fear from rulers, even if we're being persecuted by them. Um, they, their rulers are terrifying when you're harming other people, and when they catch you at that, and they hold you up to public shame, and punish you, and everyone agrees that you deserve it, <clears throat> um, and you know, and you know that you did something wrong. Like that's when rulers are frightening. Is when is when you're when you're doing evil. It's not that nothing will happen to you. Paul only talks about terror and fear here. Um, um, and there's, there's some, you know, in general, this idea that rulers will approve of good, of good behavior by their citizens and disapprove of bad behavior, you know, is a general principle. But the principle that we don't have anything to fear from government is universal um, because we know that our king ultimately um, is in charge above all of these governments. And therefore, we don't need to, this is, this is where Romans 13, I, I think, speaks very clearly to the current climate of fear about tyranny in the United States, is that if you are terrified, if you are having terror right now, you are not in your proper place under God. Um, we, you know, there's a place for legitimate concern about, about risks to ourselves and our families, where we might have to make decisions about where we live or, you know, how we order our lives because a government becomes more hostile. But if, if we are, you know, frantically posting memes about Adolf Hitler and, and warning people that, that, you know, the, the, that they have to rise up and resist. And, 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 you know, if, if there's this angst, which is so obvious when someone has it, um, this fear that something is going off the rails, then you are, you, you, we need to examine ourselves right. and ask why we have that fear. Do we actually, are we actually following the marching orders of our legitimate authority? And if, and if we are, there's no cause for fear. We are protected. Um, and the same, we'll, we'll have exactly the attitude that Jesus did before Pilate when he said, and Pilate's just like, dude, you, I could, you know, I could have any, I could have anything done to you. And, and Jesus says, only if my father allows it. Like he's completely chill in that moment. Right. Um, he's the one in charge of the situation. And that's how we are if we are under God's authority. We know that we have an authority problem. Either we're looking to the wrong authorities or we're experiencing, you know, we're giving way to rebellion or something. Um, if we are experiencing uh, the opposite of what Jesus experienced when he faced the authorities if we're experiencing fear and terror and, 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 and this desperation to somehow 
you know, believe that something has to be different. Yeah, it's, um, I, I, it's interesting to me that, uh, that, that fear component, uh, there's a, I want a robust enough view of Romans 13 that can even count for persecution. I want a robust enough view of Romans 13 that I can understand why what happens to Paul happens to Paul. And I think what it is, is this, there are even, even the state's attempts to squash the Christian movement are in the interest of preserving the broader order. Like when you look at, um, is it Tacitus's letter about the Christians? Like they're, they're bothered by the trouble that these people are potentially making within the social order. A government wants, what a government wants is power and, and money, taxes. That, that's, what, that's, the, that's the fuel of any state system. And the more stable a social order is, the more money and power they can have. And these two things, they reinforce each other. It, it, it's a, it's a self-correcting cycle. That's why these power vacuums happen and somebody steps into them or they become the state structure becomes odious and people aren't willing to consent to it. And they rise up and they overthrow it and they start another system that becomes odious, et cetera, et cetera. It's, mm-hmm. it's because, because they want order because order is the most profitable thing for a state to rule over. And, and it's the, it's the the Christian persnickety consciences that won't allow them to go along with certain things that cause them to be disorderly from the perspective of the state. So in the in the context of, of first century Christianity, you know, the polytheism that creates social order is threatened by monotheists. Like if you're saying your God is one at the table, then we can be cool with that and all go on about our social order, our social cults. If you're saying your God is the God and our gods aren't gods, that disrupts the order and we can't have that. And that becomes the problem. Now, obviously at that point, the church is willing to stand on her ground, but she recognizes that she's creating disorder in the state's order. And so we suffer persecution. We get on our crosses and we pay the price to establish our order over the order of the state. But it's only where that's a will, where that's a where that's a valuable stand, where we're willing to make that stand and say, my order matters and yours doesn't. But you have to be willing to say that to defy the state. You have to be willing to say that this order supersedes yours. You don't have a right to claim this as a part of your order. And and when that's used trivially, when it's mm-hmm. used with trifling, it messes up the testimony of the church. It, it delegitimizes what we're saying about the kingdom of God. And that's why we're supposed to pay our taxes. That's why we're supposed mm-hmm. to be good citizens and do whatever is amenable, not just to the law, but to my neighbors. Like, I, you know, pick up trash when you see it, help your, you know, shovel your neighbor's walk when you're out there, like that kind of stuff to help create order in the world is what we ought to be known for. So that when we have to make a stand and stand up and say, "Mm, I can't go with you on this, that everyone around us knows this must be for real. This must be a serious deal because those people are orderly. Those people are, are conscientious. Those people are never trouble. And here they are making all this ruckus. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the design. 
Maybe we can go there a little bit because we had a question from Justin Mary Zare. They said, what is the minimum group size for gathering to edify each other in the kingdom of God? And I think what they're asking is like, where is that cutoff point where we will say, no, this is going against a higher law? Like if, if the government told you that you had to like put a mask on your infant or um, like you had to walk around in a hazmat suit um, and well, I don't know, maybe we'd still do that. <laughs> I don't know what a, what, a, what a good example of, of like the, the mask type thing going too far would be, or if there even is one. But I think the more important one is like, um, obviously we've, we've yielded when it comes to our religious gatherings to where we have them online or we have smaller in-person groups. Well, what if they said that like only five people can meet or no one from more than one household can meet together? Do we say, okay, now... Now we're, we're disobeying the command to not forsake the assembly of ourselves together if we follow the government's mandate. Um, yeah, where is that cutoff point for you guys? Because I, I like what you said there, Matthew, about like it, we, we shouldn't be kind of like the boy who cried wolf and every little thing we, we say we have the right to disobey. It should be something where we're disobeying. It actually gets people's attention. Right. Um, so where is that cutoff point? Well, I, I don't know exactly, but what I can tell you is that I think the church it has missed an incredible opportunity in, in, in what's happening in, in America right now, especially as it pertains to the church and especially as it pertains to how we meet together. Um, I, okay, so first of all, this isn't directed at the church. It's directed at everybody. Like, it's not Christian-specific. We can't claim it as persecution because we're Christians when it applies equally to the Elks Lodge or the cafe up the street. Like it, we're not being targeted or singled out for this. It doesn't have anything to do with our Christianity. And if it doesn't have anything to do with our Christianity, it's, it's not a cross. But secondly, if it were, if, it, if there were a place where we said, you know, what it means, our identity as Christians prohibits us from following this mandate um it would have to be over over something that we can really plant our feet in in our in 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 a biblically oriented conscience what, where we've missed it is that the whole american model of of what it means to be the church has needed to be disrupted for a very long time like the we've been going the opposite direction of what church mm -hmm. is for many, many, many years, several decades in collecting in bigger buildings and bigger groups with less co real connection, no real pastoral co networks and, and, and oversights, not knowing who each other are, transferring out of a mode where what it means to be Christian is to be connected to an intimate family-oriented group that meets around a table for communion and rather exchanging that for a time and a place on Sunday and Wednesday where we call ourselves going to church. And, and there's, so I'm always, I'm, since COVID's happened, I'm like, look at this opportunity. We can shake up this whole American evangelical model and reinstitute real church life. Like everybody has available to them now small integrated networks of fellowship instead of mega church and time and place meeting only church. And we're 
we're looking that gift horse in the mouth. We're spurning it and rejecting it and rebelling against it. Instead of fighting, why don't we just figure out how to be the church again? Why don't we figure out how to get a few people in a room, in, in, a, in a living room around a table and have real church again? If that becomes impossible, I, I mean, we're going to have lines somewhere. We have to continue to be the church. But the resources that we have available, like it's not the 1918 Spanish flu. We do have ways to connect with each other outside of person-to-person -person meetings. We do. I mean, I, the church in Boston, I'll tell you for our perspective, it's hurt our fellowship. I, I'm used to having much more freedom to get around and see everybody. We used to once every once a month or so every six weeks we would get the whole church together in a basement somewhere and have our citywide meetings and those were great times and we loved it, it was fun so yeah it's lame we've had to move some of that to we've had to move some of that to online but by and large because we meet in small house churches we've been able to obey the government and not worry about it like we just we were careful about how many people meet together. We stay under the limits that, that are prescribed by the government and we just go on. It's not wrecking our faith. It's not keeping us from being Christians. It's not keeping us from meeting together as the people of God. So we just see it as being good neighbors, just like our business would, you know, our business would follow those regulations. Well, I'd like to add something on that as well. Um, and just connect that really firmly back to what you said about, not making frivolous, um, you know, not taking frivolous stands so that we don't undermine the stands we take when we really need to. Um, <clears throat> I know many, many churches right now who are not merely, uh, I, I think, I think there's a defensible stand to take for you to, for a church to figure out what's the minimum number of people we need. We, right. that we have to gather as, you know, anything below this, we're not going to be able to hold our community together and support the vulnerable and, and, you know, hold each other accountable and whatever. Um, you know, that could be a principled stand. I don't think that number is, you know, 5,000 people under one roof. Like we have certain mega church pastors claiming it is, but I mean, if, if you're at that situation where your church will fall apart, if you don't get 5,000 people together to listen to one man preach in person, then you're in a pretty sorry state to start with. And maybe it ought to fall apart so people could, so the spirit could do something new in your town. But the, the, there, there is some minimum level at which we're not really being the church anymore. We're you know, in, I, I think it really matters whether we're in person or whether we're doing a video chat, like those are not the same thing. We've right. all experienced the difference um, by now. Everybody knows that a video call is not like being with someone in a room. And right. so, so there's, there's a principled stand to take there. But what I see is that many people are not even attempting to wait until they've reached that point. What I see is churches that are not only still gathering, but they're taking no precautions to distance people in the church building, even when, you know, it's a church of eight or 10 large families who could easily sit six feet away from each other and, and um, you know, and drastically reduce the risk of transmission. They could easily wear masks when they weren't singing, um, but nobody's wearing masks. Right. There's no attempt whatsoever being made in too many places it's as if 
the as if it's an all or nothing proposition. We either treat the entire thing as the government has no business telling us to do anything, or else, or else if we gave in to any of it, we would be submitting to a spirit of fear and bringing on the last days somehow. Um, and and if you're if if you uh, to be very blunt, if you say that you're meeting in large groups because you know because you have to obey the scriptures scriptural mandate to not forsake the assembling of yourself and that it's a conscience issue that's why you're doing it and yet you're not distancing in any way you're doing nothing to reduce the risk of 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 transmission when all of your health authorities are asking you to for the sake of your neighbors then that's not a conscience issue there's something else at play there because if right. it was a conscience issue you would be doing all the things that don't violate your conscience so it's before a power struggle. Even, exactly. So before we even ask the question of, of, and I don't know, I, I, this is not, this is not an attack on the person who asked the question in our chat, because I don't know anything about your local situation, but before we, before we have the right to ask that question, to grapple with, um, shall we defy the minimum gathering number? We'd better be doing everything we can within our conscience to honor the spirit of the health mandates that are designed to keep our neighbors safe. Um, once we have done that, once we have demonstrated that we care enough about that, that we understand how Christians are supposed to relate to government, we have some kind of coherent framework for knowing what should be a struggle and a confrontation and what shouldn't. At that point, we can ask the question about gathering size. And in our local, con in, in our local fellowship, um, which again um, is a house church, um, you know, our gatherings are rarely over 10 people. Anyway, I'm not even sure what the current mandates in the state of Arkansas are, but they're not that strict. I don't think they apply to churches at all, but we are trying to keep our gatherings small. Um, we, uh, I think most of us at least are, are careful when we're out and about to, to, to follow the, the mandates to wear masks when we're around large numbers of people. Um, we've had our meetings out outdoors, um, when it was, when the weather allowed it. Um, so we've done a lot of things that try to minimize our risk of transmission. We're very careful about not coming to coming to the meetings. If we're, if someone's ill, um, you know, all of these basic things that you can do to drastically reduce the chance that your meetings are going to be a, a super spreader event. And and as far as having large gatherings, it's just not an issue when you're a house church most of the time. Like we would like to get together with other house churches in the area, like we do sometimes, but, and we've done less of that, but that's where we're coming from. It's, it's co co cooperate in every way that we can. And then we are not going, we're not going to be like flagrantly flouting public order if we choose one area where we say we're going to skirt the law on this because we feel like it's essential to do so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to talk about that spirit of fear thing. Cause it really irks me in about six different ways. Where do I start? The first part is that it's, it's ignorance and I don't know if it's willful ignorance, but it's certainly ignorant. I, I don't wear a mask because I'm afraid of getting COVID. I wear a mask because I'm afraid I could give someone COVID. 
it's mm-hmm. not a it's not about me i'm not afraid that's not why i wear a mask we know that you can be asymptomatic and have the virus and we know that you can be early on with very minimal symptoms and be spreading the virus it's for love of my neighbors that i wear a mask and the fact that the christians aren't the first to rush to this defense of their neighbors is atrocious to me it's unconscionable if there's a conscience issues involved in all this it's that christians aren't loving their neighbors and that that i find that offensive mm-hmm. but the other it, it, all the other stuff that we're saying applies equally to the same issue as well like if you're not doing the minimum, if you're not doing the easy things that are, that there are to do, then I think you have an agenda. It's not about, mm-hmm. it's not about wearing masks. Like yeah, you, like you just articulated, if you're saying we have to meet together in our church house, cause that's what it means for us to be Christians. And we don't, we also don't wear masks when we go to the store and we also aren't doing anything to try to separate and create some space and distance. And we're not doing anything else like I'm going to call baloney on your, you have to meet with 300 people mm-hmm. in the church house to be a Christian. You just are a rebel. That's just what it is. You're just refusing to go along with the order that's being established around us. John right, MacArthur, a- John MacArthur had a tweet early on where he's said that the church is the gathering of believers um, who are gathered to hear the word of God. And then he said, this cannot happen in dozens of outdoor distant services um which is just a lie like john um, john macarthur is a liar and i don't care how much you like his teaching he is insulting the underground church throughout the world throughout the centuries who have met in small groups and saying that they're not the body of christ um and and that a man has to know that yeah he he's not stupid like the guy has been studying the scriptures his entire life it's at that point it's willful deception of of people who do not know their bibles as well as he does to say that kind of thing and i think there's greater judgment for that kind of garbage and 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 i like i want to point out how far this kind of willful simply you know flagrant disregard for common sense and care for our neighbors goes um, I know of a church near here and I don't mind if someone from there hears this. Um, if you're listening, this is what I think about, um, the, their, where people, where people went to family gatherings at Thanksgiving that were attended by people who knew that they were currently positive for COVID-19. They gathered for Thanksgiving non-distanced, non-masked as far as I know, knowing they were positive. Everyone who came to the gathering was alerted. Yeah, just so you know, somebody's going to be there with COVID-19. And so people from this church went there, went to the gathering all the same, um, and exposed themselves, went back to church the next Sunday, a fairly large, medium-sized congregation, um, there was a number of people at church who had been exposed to COVID-19 knowingly um, and who did not notify the congregation. Nobody was wearing masks. Um, there was, they were not distancing themselves. Um, and 
there were pe- there are people in that congregation who are immune compromised who often can't even come to church because they're too sick um and and those and there are people in that church who are elderly and at least i think i have my facts straight here at least one of them has died of covid-19 um this this um this is this is not love this is not christian there's nothing remotely christian about that pattern of behavior um you what whatever whatever you believe about what the government should and shouldn't do that's not how christians behave there's nothing in the scripture that requires you to show up on the sunday that you exposed yourself to a disease that could kill an elderly person in your congregation quite easily um and 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 we're talking people showing up who had classic symptoms as well and who continue who showed up and mingled in close-up gatherings this this like you at that point when you have that pattern of behavior going on number one we have a lack of leadership somebody's not demonstrating somebody's not giving people a framework for how to think about these things effectively and number two um you've surrendered your right to make a principled claim that your resistance to any mandate is based on christian virtue or morality because christian virtue or morality does not willfully expose other people um who are especially vulnerable to illness um for frivolous reasons and there's plenty of other anecdotal cases of that as well i have i was just the the person i was talking to the other day about this small church where they're not masking or doing anything uh they they had a similar experience people came to visit them and for a weekend and told them when they left oh by the way our daughter's at home with covid uh, an immune vulnerable family with medical conditions who's been struggling now for months trying to recover from covid and it's so hateful to to act that way I, I just cannot imagine i mean i i guess i guess i guess i can't imagine like you have to recreate a world after your paradigm after your after your own you know your own like your your own view of uh of politics and and how you want the world to be and imagining all these all these things has to create a world where you just think it doesn't exist or it doesn't matter or whatever the case may be and i know there's just literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are living in that world and i don't know what we're supposed to do about that pepper asked if we're going to address relocation camps and i i hate to even dignify it it's so if i had a if I had a penny for every time I've heard a conspiracy theorist talk about relocation camps, I, I could invest in eventide. It's <laughs> silly. Well, well, I'm older. I'm older than Pe- I'm older than Pepper by some amount, significant amount. And I can't remember when I wasn't hearing about relocation camps that we were all just on the verge of being shipped off to. Um, FEMA camps. Know. You guys and, remember FEMA right, camps? For sure. Of course. And all the paper coffins. And- they were going to round yep. us up and shoot us in the head. Yep. And not only that, not only that, um, the, the, this country 
this country has rounded up Americans and put them in camps on a couple of occasions. And it, and strangely, the same people who are terrified that they're going to do it now consider it to have been justified every time it's been done in the past. So I don't know what they're complaining about. The government wouldn't put people in camps. It has never demonstrated that it's willing to put people in camps unless it had a good reason. I'm, I'm much more worried about the prison industrial complex than FEMA relocation camps. And I hope people know that what I said about having a good reason was firmly tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> Governments do sometimes put people in camps, but they don't do it nearly as often as I've been told they're going to. So I guess there's comfort and, and uh, reinforcement both. We're getting links now. To oh, I know. It's going to be an endless tirade. <laughs> the, that's, I shouldn't have said anything. But, but here's, here's the thought experiment, right? So, so I'm a Japanese Christian in the Second World War. Am I supposed to fight the government and not go to the Japanese internment camp? I mean, what what's the point? I mean, I, I would if that happened today, if they were going to round me up and put me in a camp, then round me up and put me in a camp like I, I'm not going to fight the government over it. That's what were the Japanese Christians supposed to do? Somebody who's worried about that. Go ahead and tell me what. Were they supposed to mount up a resistance and fight the United States government so that the, so that all of our Japanese citizens didn't have to go in the internment camps? Thereby reinforcing the fear that they were a, th a third column or fifth column right. within, within right. the borders of the nation. Like It's like some people can't handle the idea that Christians were sent as sheep among the wolves. Right, right. Like they really are wolves we're surrounded with. If and we really are up sheep. To that, if you're just waking up to that this year, um, <laughs> welcome to the party. There you go. COVID detention camps, there just is. Uh... Supposed to at least acknowledge the fact. I don't, I, I don't know anybody living in one. I don't know any facts about it. I think the fact is that they're discussing putting people with COVID into camps. I'm let's sure, just, quarantine, just I'm point sure out, quarantines are being talked about quite often. Let's just point out that, let's just point out that even if there's a bill in a legislature somewhere to propose something, like lawmakers propose crazy bills all the time. If all of the things had happened that were on a bill somewhere, um, then this really would be crazy town. Like one lawmaker can like sponsor a bill and start pushing it and everybody can freak out about it and it doesn't have a, a snowball's chance in hell of passing or even making it through committee so like if before you get excited about bills you should see whether um you know you need to have the information about whether they're actually about to be passed and here's the exact the exact point i keep coming back to again and again with this conspiracy stuff is that it's always a distraction like what what what's the resolution let's imagine that they are going to round up thousands of people are we supposed to mount a defense i mean go if you're worried about a bill in the new york state legislature for rounding people up for quarantines go hold a sign out in new york state legislature i i don't know what to tell you like that's not what we're here for we're here right. for the gospel we're here to care for our neighbors 
if you're getting distracted in in legislative bills in Congress, if you're getting distracted about NASA deceiving you about the shape of the Earth, if you're getting distracted about whether or not coroners are lying in mass across the United States about about death certificates, I don't know what to tell you. You're you're focused on entirely the wrong thing. You're wasting your life. And when I say wasting your life, I mean, you're wasting your energy, you're wasting your emotions, you're wasting your resources, you're wasting what your value is to the kingdom of God in tracking something that has nothing to do with your purpose here. Focus, focus, get your eyes back on Jesus get your eyes back on your task and your obligation about what it means to be his body here and get busy doing something meaningful instead of tracking silly bills in some random state legislature. It's not our job. It's not what you're here for. If you live in New York and you know that an imminent roundup is about to occur, you know, that might not be a bad time to move out of state, you know? Um, But, but if, but if you, you know, but if the, if there's some sort of mass takeover by hostile elements to our faith about to happen, then we, you know, what the apostles would have done is rejoiced that we were counted worthy to suffer um, and prepare to watch the gospel blossom under pressure and hardship. Um, these times of upheaval are when the are when the gospel um, tends to flourish the best um i mean that's that's not always the case but in general the church is healthiest in places whether where it's under some degree of pressure and where it can't where it can't get mixed up with the state where it doesn't feel comfortable with the status quo where it's not possible for it to make nice with the with the powers that be and and so if that's about to happen here i think it's good news for all true believers um, because it gives us it gives the kingdom of god another chance to demonstrate its superiority over the powers the violent powers that are trying to crush it yeah well is there anything else we should do to wrap up i i'm 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 just wore out with all the conspiracy stuff (laughs) Maybe we should invite them in and have a face-to-face conversation rather than... It's not quite fair to have comments versus it's, live it's, stream. It's, it's, not, it's not fair. We've got we to let people call in. Um, <laughs> sometime, sometime we need to do that. We need to bring the yeah. Bureau bros in. You think posting links can derail a conversation? Wait till you got somebody on a live feed. Well, you know, we, we can give... If, if we had to, we could give everybody a... Uh, so well, here's what we could do. I have an idea. Let's make, let's put a bet. Let's put money on this that that people are going to be put into containment camps in America who have COVID-19 in mass. I will put a hundred dollars on it, and I'm I'm saying this publicly. I will put a hundred dollars on this that this will not happen. And if someone wants to, to to put their money in it with me, I don't know if this is wrong or not. If this is gambling, but. Um, if someone wants to do that, I will publicly challenge you right now to do that because I'm not sure that these people even believe what they're saying. So what do you anyways, say, Pepper? Are you going to put your money where your mouth is? Hit me up on Messenger if you want to take me up on this. I will literally put $100 down. 
And and I and and I don't bet, but I'm gonna I'm just gonna go on record that Titus's money is probably safer right now, his hundred dollars, than the money he has in the bank. <laughs> Curtis said, "Cash app it to me once I'm in the camp, Titus." <laughs> He'll need it then. That's that's a good that's a good uh, a good insurance for him. Keep your Venmo up to date when you go into the camps. <laughs> Uh, on that note all right well thanks a lot guys I, I i i'm glad we got to look at those scriptures and and brush up on those things and uh so the message for tonight is obey what you're told don't don't be a rebel don't be a son of liberty be a son of god there you go good talking to y'all take care good night